0: Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. My name's Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this podcast is a ministry of that church. The On Being Christian podcast focuses exclusively, almost, on content that helps you understand the importance from a biblical perspective of the fact that Christianity— ...is not something that I can just claim, but rather it's something that I have to do. It's a way of life. It's a course of action more than it is just a title that I assert to myself. Anyway, I'm so glad that you chose to be with us today... And um, as we look forward to a new year of different opportunities and experiences, I'm very excited about those opportunities that the Lord has entrusted with us already and the, and the ones that are sure to come concerning chances to be a witness for the cause of Christ. I think sometimes in the society that we live in, the opportunities look different, but the duty stays the same. In fact, this is podcast number nine Podcast number eight was an interview with Mr. Andrew Sims. He owns multiple businesses um, within the trades, um, all very profitable and um, an entrepreneurial mind, a guy who knows how to work with teams and run teams and be a leader in teams. And that was one of the things that we talked about was the opportunities change. They look different, but the duty in other words, the cause of Christ and the duty that it is for us to fulfill the cause of Christ, that remains the same. That doesn't change. And it's with that perspective or from, from that idea that I'd like to talk to you today about the idea, about the concept of what an able man is. What does it mean to be able, to be qualified, to be appropriate? I think that would be a good thing to talk about as we go into a new year, because just concerning what I would like for myself and for those who I have been entrusted with the privilege to preach to, um, that's exactly what the idea is, is to, is to take our lives and, and add a sense of responsibility and a sense of capability to our lives that allows us to be capable. To, and that word capable is a word for appropriate to the cause. In other words, um, one of the pastors that trained me, a fella named Eric McCandless, used to say a fella must be equal to the task until the task is finished. And that's the idea that I'd like to talk to you about today is how are we, how do we put within ourselves the characteristics and the fortitude that allows us to be able men, to be usable by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'd like you to go to Exodus with me. I think that's where I'd like to look at. Um, I think that's where I'd like to use as our context for today, our text verse. Exodus chapter 18. And let me just give you a little bit of background as we get into this, and then I'll I'll read you some scripture um, that leads up to this idea of what it means to be able. In Exodus chapter 18 and verse 1, we find that the Bible says when Jethro... The priest of Midian, Moses' father in law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father in law, and it goes on to say that he came to visit him. He brought with him some people, his sons, his wife, things like that. And from verse 1 to verse 12, you see Jethro, which is Moses' father in law, and Moses. Kind of catch up. Moses tells Jethro everything that's going on, tells him everything that the Lord is doing. Jethro, his father in law, is listening, and they have this conversation. Now, let's pick it up just for the sake of time in verse 13, and I want to show you something that takes place where um, Jethro watches what happens. He has a thought about what's happening. And he offers it to Moses, and Moses accepts it, and the Lord blesses. And it all revolves around this idea of men who are able. So if we pick it up in verse 13, the Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws." And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Now let's just pause there for a second. This is a common thing that men who are in positions of leadership struggle with. It's not necessarily micromanagement as much as it is the idea that it's their job, it's their responsibility, and they're going to have a hand in everything. I was reading an article yesterday about what the most successful people in this world concerning a business do, and one of the things that it said they do is they delegate everything, anything that doesn't directly need their attention they delegated out. And um, that's that's an interesting thought. But what I want to focus on for the remainder of this is who exactly is being who who exactly are these responsibilities being delegated to? Because that's what I think you and I are in need of. If we're going to be men who can serve the Lord, able men, able Christians, there's a concept here that I think is going to help us because the Lord does and is actively looking, for people to delegate responsibility to, and I would like that for the, I would like for that to be me, by God's grace. And so let's look at what it says, verse 19 Hearken now unto my voice. This is Jethro speaking. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, and here's the part I want to pay attention to, thou shalt provide out of all the people. So the pool, this is me talking here, the pool that we're pulling from is everybody. In other words, he's going to step back, and he's going to, based off characteristics, ethics, and fortitude, he's going to pick some men. From all the people. And the Bible gives him three qualities to look for concerning what type of men should be selected for this responsibility. Verse 21 Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. And here's number one, such as fear God. Here's number two, men of truth. And here's number three, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And then it goes on to, de- to describe how Moses listened to Jethro, his father-in-law, and the Lord blessed this. So the part I want to focus on, obviously, is verse 21 there, which lays out three qualities of what it means to be an able man. Let's look at the first one. Men, verse 21, men, talking about able men, such as fear God. Such as fear God. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, fear is a word that I think sometimes is misunderstood. The word fear here is a word that really actually is more appropriately defined or, or understood as a word for reverence. Now, the Bible uses the right word, don't get me wrong, but sometimes words change meaning over time, and we would do best to go back and figure out exactly what God's saying instead of putting it into a category that we think we understand. And that word fear is one of those words. It's a word for reverent. And the word reverent is a word that means to hold in or to regard with deep respect, to be reluctant through a feeling of veneration or obedience. It's the action or fact of showing respect. And so what type of man, number one, what type of man are we looking for? What type of men are we looking for? What type of man do I want to be when authority is looking for an able man? The first thing is a man who fears God, a man who has a reverence for God and also for God's word. Now, there's a lot of verses on this, but if we, if we look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, the Bible says um, that his fear may be before your eyes, or excuse me, that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. I want you to picture with me for a second and, and just humor me. If your entire life was continuously on display before the face of God, what actions would you change immediately? If you understood, if this was true, if your entire life was continuously, I'm talking 24-7, 365, on display before the face of God, what actions would you change now, right now? What things would you never do again? What habits would you find it easily breakable, what habits would you find easily breakable if it was God who was watching every aspect, every second, every moment, every passing splinter of time of your life was on display before the face of God, what things would you change? Now, here's the reality. Your life is on display before God. Every second, every passing moment, 100% of the time, there is no place where you and I can go where we are outside of the vision of God. The Bible says that able men, they remember this. Able men approach personal life from the perspective of understanding that God is to be reverenced, not by their words only, but by their actions. Because their actions and their words, the very fabric of their mind, is unfolding in real time continuously before the face of god leviticus 25:36 says fear thy god that thy brother may live with thee in other words the the proper placement of reverence to my heavenly father is going to make it much more possible for me to live in a peaceful situation with those around me my brother those people who i have been entrusted with those people the lord has put in my life my relationship with them will vastly benefit because of my reverence and approach towards God first. There are several other verses on this. Um, Deuteronomy 4.10 talks about the fact that we have to learn to fear him. Deuteronomy 5.29, you'll find the phrase, fear me. It goes on to say, keep my commandments, and then the result of fearing him or reverencing God and keeping his commandments is that it may go well with them. Now, I'm going to take it for granted that we would like our life to go well. I think if you're in any form of leadership or in any situation where you've been entrusted with certain responsibilities, you would like for those things to go well. Well, according to the Bible, the surest way for those things which are uh, under my endeavors to go well the surest way for those things to go well is for me to reverence god my relationships benefit when i reverence god the work of my hand benefits when i reverence god the fact that i am or am not able is entirely dependent on whether or not my life is reverencing god whether or not i fear the lord the deuteronomy 6:24 says for our good always For our good always, fearing the Lord produces our good always. The Bible links the fear of the Lord to keeping you from sin, to being at peace with your brother. The Bible also links the fear of God to something which can be learned. In other words, this is not something that comes naturally. This is something that you're going to have to uh, put into place. Okay, To all my endeavors going well, All my endeavors going well are directly linked to my fear and reverence toward God, to my life being long. And the Bible makes clear that the fear of the Lord is always good. At the very least, folks, how can you be an able man or an able Christian if you are not even at peace with your brother? This is an interesting thought. Sometimes We have this idea that God's going to honor the work of my hand, the thoughts of my mind, um, the endeavors of my life. He's going to honor them, even though I'm not listening to what he tells me to do. And the very first thing the Bible, in fact, says, uh, this this commandment's greater than all. Love thy brother as thyself. That's where this all starts. If I can't be at peace with the people that the Lord put in my life— do I really expect to be someone that is used for able purposes? If I can't, if there's people in my life right now that I that I don't talk to, that there's a there's a there's a rift between me and them. This is particularly appropriate uh, concerning relationships in families and churches. If I can't bring peace to the relationships. Um, whether they're family or friendships, directly linked to my life in real time, how in the world am I going to be someone who is able? And that's what we are lacking, not just as families and churches, but as a nation. We are lacking able men. We don't have any. We, it, it's a sad state of affairs. We have learned men. We have educated men. We have opinionated men. But we are drastically short on able men, men who fear and reverence God. The Bible says this is where it all starts. The Bible says in Proverbs 9:10, Proverbs 1.7, and I believe the other one is 1533, that this is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. So this is the first step, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. If I can't do that, if I can't fear the Lord, if I don't reverence the Lord, I can't expect much of the rest of my life to be worth very much because it's the beginning of all um, ability is reverencing God, the fear of the Lord. If we go back to our text in Exodus chapter 18, we looked at the first one concerning what an able man is. It's a man who reverences God. It's a man who fears God. Let's look at the second one, uh, verse 21 Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, that's number one. Number two, such as fear God, or excuse me, such as fear God is number one. Um, Men of truth, able men are men who fear God, number one, and able men are men, according to this verse, of truth, men of truth. Truth here is a word that means conformity to fact or reality. Now, we're going to get into the rest of this definition in a minute. But just that first, that used to not be such an offensive definition until about four or five years ago. Conformity to fact or reality. There, there is an objective reality in life. There are lots of objective realities in life. For example, gravity gravity is a fact of life. If you decided to wake up tomorrow and not believe in gravity, your lack of belief in gravity would not alter the fact that gravity still has a very authoritative position over your existence. You don't believe me? Well, okay, go downtown to the tallest building you've got and step off. I guarantee you, you get to the ground a lot quicker than a bird would. Why? Because gravity plays a role of authority in your life. There are lots of things, and I don't want to get too far into the political, but so much of what's political today has become religious. This, this idea that I can excuse objective, biological reality for the subjective opinions of what I think I am or what I think someone else is folks that's not real and if I want to be a man of ability then I have to live in the truth no matter who it offends or who it doesn't offend it's not about who I do and do not offend it's about living in the truth not living by lies so the definition of the word truth it's a conformity to fact or reality in exact accordance with that which is, or has been, or will be. It's fidelity, or consistency, and honesty with reality. Fidelity, it's a word for faithfulness, and consistency and honesty with reality. Folks, this is what able men understand. If I'm going to dismiss reality... If I'm going to not conform to the objective existence of truth, then I am making myself unable. And so if you want to take this into the political realm, when you have entire political atmospheres or political environments which reject the conformity of reality or reject their own conformity to reality— You literally have a political system or a political ideology that is doomed by the doctrine of the Bible or just by truth as it exists objectively. An entire political system that is doomed to failure before the word go. Why? Because it's not able. There's nothing there. It's fake. To live by lies is to guarantee failure. One hundred percent of the time. Able men understand this. Foolish men attempt to do what every foolish man in front of them attempted to do. Why is it that everything that has been tried and failed continues to be tried and proven to be a failure over and over and over again through human history? Because Number 1, men don't fear God. They don't give him reverence. And number 2, because we choose to live in lies, and lies will produce failure and devastation every single time. So number 1, men who understand the the requirement laid upon them by just existence that to be able, I must number 1 fear God. I must reverence God. That's the beginning of everything. Number 2, I must live in the truth. I must be a man of truth, which means I must not live by lies as a way of life. I tell people here all the time at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, decisions don't make priorities. Priorities make decisions. So if you take your life and you look at how many opportunities you have, how many decisions do you think you make in a day? Thousand? Two thousand? Five thousand? The point is, it's, it's really innumerable. How many opportunities to make the wrong decision do you have in a day? Well, that would be the same amount of decisions that you have because you have a 50-50 shot sometimes of making the right decision or the wrong decision. And so how do I reduce the amount of um, possible wrong decisions? Well, the only way to reduce the amount of possible wrong decisions is to reduce the amount of decisions, period. You say, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. If I choose as a priority of my life to live only by the truth and by nothing else, then that priority of living by the truth will make a lot of decisions for me. I won't have to make decisions when the priority of my life is to live by the truth, I don't have to weigh the evidence between lies and falsehood and truth. I don't have to decide what narrative I'm going to live by when the priority of my life is to always choose the truth no matter what. You see how this works? Men who are able are men who live in the truth. In Joshua chapter 24 14 through 15, you'll find this. The Bible says fear, and that's that idea of it being linked to truth. And then it goes on and says, sincerity and in truth. This is how able men live their lives, in fear and in sincerity and in truth. The word sincerity is a word that means honesty of mind or intention, freedom from simulation or hypocrisy. It's no disguise or false pretenses. I'm not going to live by a disguise. There's no false pretense over anything that I'm doing. Every decision, every priority, uh, every, as we talked about before, every uh, role of my mind is specifically being done under the, under the, the sole and exclusive pretense of honesty. Freedom from hypocrisy. That's what that word sincerity means. And that's what we're lacking as a society. Sincerity. Uh, Now, I don't mean that people don't feel sincerely about their subjective opinions. I'm sure that they do. But that doesn't mean that it is sincerity. Feeling sincerely about something doesn't mean that thing that you feel is in keeping with the truth. I have opinions about myself. They're sincere opinions about myself. And there's been a couple times in life where life showed me that my opinion of myself was a false opinion. Folks, I used to be a fighter. I used to fight for a living, believe it or not. And every good fighter believes that when he gets into the cage, he's going to win. Or if he gets into the ring, specifically concerning myself, mine was a cage. Okay. Why would I get into the cage if I didn't think I was going to win? That there's just a, there's just a, a stupidity to that. And that's what being a fighter was all about. doing the work prior to the event to give you all the confidence in the world because you have to have that in order to win. All right? Now there was a one specific time I was pretty good and I went a good long time without being beat. And that does a lot of things for your confidence, but it also does a lot of things for your ego. Um, and that's not so good. And there was a guy, I, I won't tell you his name, his first, his, his first name was Booker. And uh, my fight didn't show up. And it was just, you know, I'm not talking about these big uh, events at this point. It was just these backyard smokers, you know. <clears throat> You're fighting in like the fairgrounds and little cage type stuff. That, that's what this was. And I had gone a long time without being beaten. And I showed up and my fight didn't show up. The guy didn't show up. I think he was there, but he pulled my name and decided he didn't want to do it. And so the promoter came up to me and said, Hey, I've got this guy who um, who would like to substitute for your fight. Here's the problem. At the time, I was 12 and one, 12 and 0 or 12 and 1, I can't remember. And this guy was 0 and 0, never fought, zero experience. He said, Number one, he has no experience. And if I put him in here with you and you hurt him, I'm going to have. Some people to answer to because I, I put him in there with a guy that I shouldn't have put him in there with. Now, just me being told that, folks, this was doing wonderful things for my ego, like I said before. He said, number two, he didn't make weight. Now I was fighting about 190 at this point. And I said, Okay, well, what did he weigh in at? And the promoter said, Well, he's he's weighing in at 230 pounds. And I said, <laughs> That that's not didn't make weight that's a different weight. That's not even that. That's not even the same. What are you talking about? Didn't make weight. And he said, well, I told you, but this is the only fight that I've got. And I said, you know what? I'll take it because I had an opinion about myself. Right. So we get up and we get ready to go and he's the challenger. So he's the first one into the ring. And then I come in to the, to the cage and, and then I come in and we're, we're squared off. He's on his side. I'm on my side. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but the nerves are going and the, the ears are ringing pretty good. And you get that kind of metallic taste in the back of your mouth and your adrenaline's getting ready to go. And the crowd's kind of fading out and you're getting tunnel vision concerning the task before you. And all my confidence begins to come in. And I'm thinking, you know what, this is what I do. Here we go. They look at him and they say, are you ready? And the guy very nervous, kind of nods, and then he looks at me, and the ring uh, referee says, are you ready? And I said, I'm ready, and they ding the bell, and we go at it. All right, within the first probably 25, 30 seconds, all of my opinions about my confidence and my ability were being validated. I had absolutely, I was landing things at will. I remember either popping his eardrum or doing something because there was some blood coming out of his ear and his whole left side of the face had already begun to swell. And I thought, okay, I'm calming down. I'm realizing I'm good at this. We got this. Folks, that's the last thing I remember. The rest of the story that I'm going to tell you was told to me because I was knocked out. Old Booker landed and we slowed the video down three or four times. It was one shot. We didn't really get a good angle. He landed either an uppercut that he started down like near his calf and just caught me right under the right hinge of my jaw, or he got a lucky knee. And I'm not sure which one, but whichever one it was, I collapsed into a pile of unconsciousness. And all of my opinions As subjective as they were, collapsed with me. It didn't matter what I thought I was. It didn't matter what I thought my ability was. The only thing that mattered in that very moment of time was that out of the two men that walked into that cage, one was unconscious in a pile of limbs on the floor, and the other one was standing and winning. And I wasn't that guy. (laughs) What's your point, Nolan? My point is that at some point, your subjective opinions about anything that you put out there, whether it's yourself or someone else, or whether you live by the lies that someone else says, they will come crashing to the ground. An objective truth will win. It is inevitable. It is unarguably fact. There's not a thing you can do about it. You can postpone that. You can push reality down the line a little bit if that's what you want to do. But reality and truth will come crashing home in the most spectacular fashion. It happens every time. And if you're living by a lie, you're playing a time game. It will happen to you. You say, what are some examples of this? Well, if I've never accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and I think that I'm going to live my life on my terms, folks, I'm sorry to tell you that that will come to an end. Christ will be honored. The Bible says every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is God, he is Lord. That's a reality. There are some less severe realities. If I'm struggling with opinions about myself, whether they're biological opinions or um, relationship opinions, if I'm choosing to live a life in opposition to what is factually existent, that will come to a crashing end. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Not a thing. The Bible links the thought of fear before God and truth before the Lord together. To be a man of truth and to serve the Lord in truth cannot be done if you do not first correctly fear the Lord. Being a man of truth has more to do with knowing what you are not versus thinking you know what you are. Did you catch that? There's a lady here in my church who tells me, I don't know who you think you're not. And that, that stuck with me. She doesn't tell me that, but that she tells me stories, and that phrase is in her stories. Being a man of truth has more to do with knowing who you are not versus thinking you know who you are. I know what I'm not, and I know who God is, and I would rather have him than me. That's what living in the truth is. That's what being a man of truth is. That's what makes you able. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, Take heed, and then it goes on to say, Walk in truth. 1 Kings 3, 6, Um, The Bible says they walked before thee in truth. 2 Kings 20 verse 3, the Bible says, I have walked before thee in truth. That word walk is a word for um, the conversation of your life. Everything that you do, the things that generate your actions, the things that generate your thoughts, they're all being generated from the perspective or from the well of truth. That's where I have to pull my active life from. Psalm 15 you'll find the phrase speaketh the truth in his heart sometimes we put this big difference between speaking the truth with my mouth and speaking the truth in my heart and the Bible makes it very clear a man who is able first starts or or makes his ability known first to himself before anybody else and how do you do that though he starts talking the truth to himself I tell folks here all the time the The most difficult person in the world to be honest with, unfortunately at times, is yourself. If I can be honest with myself about who I am, but more importantly, about who I'm not, then I'll start to see the Lord in the reverence that I should see him in. Then I'll start to not live a life of lies. I'll become a man of truth. And before I can ever be able to be counted on, before I can ever be counted on to be someone who is able, I have to live in the truth. First, inside my own self. If I can't live in the truth, and the truth is the only thing that exists, then what do I have if I don't have that? In Psalm 60, verse 4, you find the phrase, a banner displayed because of the truth, a banner. In other words, the banner of my life, that word banner there is a word meaning an ensign, like a flag. It's the principal standard of a prince or of a, of a saint. It's, it's, it's how I'm known. It's, it's what I'm known for. The banner or the flag that I fly should be the flag of truth. I should be known for it. I should be counted on because of it. And if I'm not... Then I'm not able. Psalm 119, verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. And so, number one, to be a man of capability, to be an able man, I must fear the Lord. That's the beginning of everything. I must reverence the Lord. Number two, I must be a man who lives in the truth exclusively. No matter what it means for myself or for anybody else, live not by lies. Live in the truth, the objective of reality of what is conformity to fact. That's as simple as it is. Live in the truth. And number three, Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21, the Bible says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the men able, excuse me, out of all the people, able men, such as Fear God, number one. Men of truth, number two. And number three, hating covetousness. Hating covetousness. The word covetousness is a word which means a strong, inordinate desire of obtaining and possessing some supposed good. Usually what turns out to be in the bad sense. It's applied to the inordinate desire of of wealth, or of excess. And to be a man who is able, I have to hate covetousness, hate inordinate excess. Folks, we live in an age today where we have more access to excess than we have ever in the history of man. You say, well, that's a strong statement. Listen, I've never been a part of a generation that has had more um, access to knowledge and been the dumber for it. We are dumb, and yet we have all the access to all the knowledge of the world, but yet we have no idea what to do with it. My grandfather used to tell me that the difference between wisdom and knowledge is very easy. He said, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is is knowing that you don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. And that was just the way he looked at it. Very simple. Where are those men? And you say, are you really using that example to show? Yeah, I'm telling you, think of it in the most simple terms. Where are the able men? Where are the wise men? Where are the men who understand that covetousness for inordinate affections of excess and wealth are, are, are going to tear you down? I'm reading a book right now called The uh, Crisis of Comfort and it, it's a, it's a wonderful book. I don't have much to say about it yet because I haven't read it through, but that's exactly where we are as a nation today. We are in a crisis of comfort. Men are not working, not because they're disabled and not because there's not jobs, but because they don't have to. And that's a crisis of comfort. Men are not made to be comfortable. We had a saying in the Marine Corps, embrace the suck. In other words, go right into it, head first. The quickest way through something that you don't want to be a part of is right down the gut, right through the middle. And that's what being an able man is all about. Men who hate covetousness, that word inordinate is a word that means a disorderly, immoderate, and, and, and excessive um, desire for extra it's usually a desire for a vice, something that's not very good. Proverbs 28:16 says, hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. In other words, it gives you the idea to to have a long and healthy life, to have healthy relationships, to have a work ethic of character and quality, something that helps people matter, something that not only helps you become successful but helps people around you become successful. that that quality, Starts with the fear of the Lord, living in truth, and lastly, hating excess, hating covetousness. In Luke two, uh, excuse me, Luke twelve fifteen, the Bible says, "Take heed, beware of covetousness, beware." That word "beware" is an interesting word. I have a dog. Her name is Oakley. She is not mean. Um, she's half German Shepherd, half Schnauzer, and uh, she. Is very, very, very friendly. Uh, Almost a little bit skitzy. Like she she would hide behind me if a situation got hairy. I have a sign on the gate of my backyard. And it says, beware of dog. If, folks, it is the most, it is false advertisement to say the least. That's what that sign is. It was on the house when I bought it. I put Oakley back there and I just let it on. I just left it be. But that idea of beware of dog, there's a certain type of dog that the word beware would put into your mind. If I were to tell you beware of dog, what type of dog would come to your mind? It wouldn't be some little furball named Fifi or whatever. Usually you've got some like Doberman or some Rottweiler who's got some cage Mask thing on, or some collar that's got steel studs on it, and just this drooly, mean, massive, low-barking mess of a dog—that's what you think of when you see the word "beware of dog." Well, the Bible says that same word: "Beware of covetousness." In other words, this this thing of covetousness—it's something that you should understand. This will rip you up. This will absolutely destroy you. This inordinate desire to be comfortable will remove your wealth your ability your desire for more this 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 sick weird place that men have found themselves in where we can have everything we want we don't have to work for anything i tell the folks here at wasatch front baptist church all the time that the worth is in the work reward without work isn't worth anything in fact it's worth the opposite it it will hurt you hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 Talks about the fact of conversation, our conversation being without covetousness. That word conversation is is a word for everything that we do. The way we live our lives should be, our lives, excuse me, should be without covetousness. Because this covetousness, uh, we need to hate it. We need to uh, to declare war on it, if you will, if we're going to be men who have any ability. I have to hate it. I have to take heed of it. I have to beware of it. I have to be without it. The word picture here is like two opposing magnets whose properties repel each other. A literal force that pushes you away from inordinate affection. This is what you have to have coming from from within your own soul if you want to be a man of ability. A force that pushes covetousness and pushes comfort away. One of the things I try to do on a regular basis, I live here in Salt Lake City and we have the Wasatch Mountain Range. In fact, I'm looking out my window right now at it. And every so often, I try to pick a peak and I just uh, go. I bring a, a moderate level of supplies and I try to get out, regardless of what the weather's doing, as far as I can and just be out in what is uncomfortable. Now, over time, I have, just to be very honest with you, find more comfort up there than I do down here in the valley. But my point is, men are not meant to sit in comfort. Able men are not soft men. Able men are hard men. And if nothing's going to make you hard, then look for opportunities to make yourself hard, to be able, to, to introduce into your life some conflict and resistance, so that you can be somebody worth something, when the day when hard men are needed comes. And folks, it's coming. It's coming. As soon as I' talking to you now, it's coming. And as comfortable as we are, we're going to be shocked when that comfort doesn't do anything for us. And so, what do I need to be able? I need to reverence the Lord. I need to fear Him. That's the beginning of everything. And then I need to live in truth, exclusively in the truth. With no regard for what it and now I'm not saying be a jerk, I'm not saying be uh, opposing for no reason. I'm saying when you choose to live in truth, you have to make that a priority of your life. No matter what you do, the truth is all there is. And number three, you have to hate covetousness. The Bible says in Colossians three five mortify it goes on to say inordinate affection. And then one of the things that Colossians 3.5 describes as an inordinate affection is covetousness. I have to mortify it. That word mortify means to destroy the very organic texture, the vital functions of a living thing, a living part. So this part of me that desires more than I need, that wants to be comfortable more than I want to be resisted, The Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, I have to mortify that. I have to kill it. Because here's what I promised. Here's my promise to you from the Bible. If you don't mortify it, if you don't kill it, somebody will. And when someone else does, you don't have any say in how that goes. People that you love who are attached to you will pay the price just like you do. But if I kill it in myself first, then maybe I can be someone that other people can count on. Maybe I can be a man that defends people, defends truth, defends righteousness, defends a cause that's worth defending because I chose to hate covetousness. Psalm 10.3 talks about the wicked, and then it says the wicked blesseth the covetous. And it goes on to say the Lord abhorreth it. He abhors it. There's nothing good about it. The Lord doesn't have anything that he's going to give to it that's that's any good. That word abhorreth is a word that means... To hate extremely. It's uh, to hate extremely or with contempt. To loathe, to detest, to hold in abomination. Do you look at your covetousness as something that has this type of poison? Remember what I said. Our lives are lived in real time before the face of God. Do you know what the opposite of covetousness is? Covetousness is wanting something you don't need. So what would be the opposite of covetousness? Well, according to the Bible, the Bible uses the word thirst. In Psalm 42, verse 2, it says the soul thirsteth after God. In Psalm 63, 1, it says my soul thirsteth, my flesh longeth. In, in Psalm 40, uh, 143, verse 6, the Bible says my soul thirsteth after thee. In Isaiah 55, the first three verses, you'll find this phrase, everyone that thirsteth, and then it goes on to say, come. In Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we have two opposing views here. Covetousness is something that I want that I don't need, but thirst is a different idea. The Bible says the soul that thirsteth after God shall be blessed, the soul that It says, my soul thirsteth after thee. To thirst, it means I I need this to live a life that's worth living. The idea of covetousness concerning the things of the world can be replaced with the idea of thirst concerning the things of the Lord. Covetousness leads 100% of the time to violence and death. Thirst leads to being filled and life. Thirst is the result of need. Covetousness is the result of want. And in order to be a man of ability, I have to hate covetousness. I have to hate it. As I hate. What's the phrase from... I used to. I read a lot, and there's a phrase that... It's the, it's the story of Romeo and Juliet from Shakespeare. And there's a conversation going back and forth between one of the Montagues and one of the Capulets... And he says, um, talking about hate, he says, my soul hates thee as it hates hell. And that's that's what my mind goes to, is I have to hate covetousness. I have to have a force that repels me away from covetousness, inordinate excess and desire, if I'm going to be a man that is able to be counted on by my Lord. Folks, when I was 15, the Lord saved me. He forgave me of my sins, and my desire is to live a life that can be used of Him. If I'm going to be used of my Heavenly Father, I need three things. Number one, I have to fear Him, I have to reverence Him. Every every aspect of my mind's fabric must put Him first. Number two, I must live in the truth exclusively, I must hate lies. I, have to, I can't live by lies. I can only live in the truth, the object of reality of what is. And number three, I must hate covetousness, the inordinate affection of excess. I have to hate it. I have to despise it. Within myself, folks, within myself, put these three things together. And these are the three things that Jethro told Moses he was looking for when he was looking for men. These types of men are the men that can be used to judge. Not from their own perspective, but from the perspective of God's law. As a father, this is what I want for myself. I want to be able to uh, fear the Lord, live in truth, and hate covetousness, and produce children, sons, and daughters who do the same. As a pastor, I want to fear the Lord live in truth and hate covetousness, and present to the Lord a church, and to be a part of a church that can work in this day and age for the cause of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ said, where I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And that's exactly what I want for this church, is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and that other people would be drawn to that name. And what do I want for you? Well, that's, that's more difficult because I don't know you. Maybe I do. Maybe we're friends. But what, what do I want for you? I want you to be able for whatever the cause is. Going into 2023, I want you to be able, appropriate for the cause. What does that mean? Well, it means you have to choose to fear the Lord and reverence him above all else. It means you have to choose to live by the truth, be a man of truth, be a Christian of truth. Don't live by lies, no matter what. Make truth your priority. And let that priority make all your decisions. And lastly, hate covetousness. Folks, fall out of love with comfort. Find things in your life that resist you. Whether it's physical or, or mental or emotional, live, better yourself. Find things that push against you and push back and become someone that is able to be counted on. Thank you so much for listening. This was a uh, On Being Christian podcast. This is the On Being Christian podcast number nine. I'll have it uploaded here pretty soon and made, made available to you. I'm, I don't take for granted the, the fact that you're listening, folks, and that you're spending some time with me. It is something that I put before the Lord in prayer. I'm not winging this. This is uh, very serious to me. And I appreciate the time that you have given to me and to this cause, and the time you share with me. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I have a contact link on the Wasatch Front Baptist Church webpage. It's uh, simply it just says contact us, and I have a direct email listed right there. You can shoot me any questions or concerns or comments, and you can also catch up on prior on being Christian podcast publications. They're listed under the link entitled "On Being Christian." For now, I'd like to close in prayer, and we'll go our own ways. Folks, again, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful new year. Father, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the content of your word. Thank you for the Bible. I can't imagine trying to do this without the Bible. Thank you so much for giving to us things that we don't even know to thank you for. And as we endeavor, Father, to serve you and to be men and women and Christians of ability going into the new year, We ask that you just honor it. We leave these things in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you later, folks.